0: Welcome to the Doctrine of Justification by Faith Through the Imputation of the Righteousness of Christ Explained, Confirmed, and Vindicated by Dr. John Owen We will be continuing to read from page 217 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRV's reading of the Doctrine of Justification by Faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father, but by him. John 14, verse 6. Chapter number 12. The imputation of the obedience of Christ unto the law. Declared and vindicated imputation of the obedience of Christ no less necessary than that of his suffering on the same ground objections against it first that it is impossible management hereof by Socinus. ground of this objection that the Lord Christ was for himself obliged unto all the obedience he yielded unto God and performed it for himself answered The obedience inquired after, the obedience of the person of Christ, the Son of God. In his whole person, Christ was not under the law. He designed the obedience he performed for us, not for himself. This actual obedience, not necessary as a qualification of his person unto the discharge of his office. The foundation of this obedience in his being made man, and of the posterity of Abraham, not for himself, but for us right of the human nature unto glory by virtue of union obedience necessary unto the human nature as Christ in it was made under the law disobedience properly for us instances of that nature among men Christ obeyed as a public person and not so for himself human nature of Christ subject unto the law so an eternal rule of dependence on God and subjection to him not as prescribed unto us whilst we are in this world in order unto our future blessedness or reward second objection that it is useless answered he that is pardoned all his sins is not there on esteem to have done all that is required of him not to be unrighteous negatively, not the same with being righteous positively. The law obliges both unto punishment and obedience. How and in what sense? Pardon of sin gives no title to eternal life. The righteousness of Christ, who is one, imputed unto many. Arguments proving the imputation of the obedience of Christ unto the justification of life. From the foregoing general argument, another does issue in particular with respect unto the imputation of the active obedience or righteousness of Christ unto us as an essential part of that righteousness whereon we are justified before God. And it is as follows, quote, If it were necessary that the Lord Christ, as our surety, should undergo the penalty of the law for us or in our stead, because we have all sinned, then it was necessary also that as our surety he should yield obedience unto the preceptive part of the law for us also and if the imputation of the former be needful for us unto our justification before God then is the imputation of the latter also necessary unto the same end and purpose end quote. for why was it necessary or why did God have it so That the Lord Christ, as the surety of the covenant, should undergo the curse and penalty of the law, which we had incurred the guilt of by sin, that we may be justified in his sight. Was it not that the glory and honor of his righteousness, as the author of the law and the supreme governor of all mankind thereby, might not be violated in the absolute impunity of the infringers of it? And if it were requisite unto the glory of God that the penalty of the law should be undergone for us or suffered by our surety in our stead because we had sinned, wherefore is it not as requisite unto the glory of God that the preceptive part of the law be complied with all for us inasmuch as obedience thereunto is required of us. And as we are no more able of ourselves to Full the law in a way of obedience than to undergo the penalty of it, so as that we may be justified thereby, so no reason can be given why God is not as much concerned in honor and glory that the preceptive power and part of the law be complied with all by perfect obedience, as that the sanction of it be established by undergoing the penalty of it. Upon the same grounds, therefore, that the Lord Christ suffering the penalty of the law for us was necessary that we might be justified in the sight of God, and that the satisfaction he made might thereby be imputed unto us, as if we ourselves had made satisfaction unto God, as Bellarmine speaks and grants. On the same, it was equally necessary, that is, as unto the glory and honor of the legislator and supreme governor of all by law, that he should fulfill the preceptive part of it, in his perfect obedience thereunto, which also is to be imputed unto us for our justification. Concerning the first of these, namely, the satisfaction of Christ and the imputation of it unto us, our principal difference is with the Socinians, And I have elsewhere written so much in the vindication of the truth therein, that I shall not hear again Reassume the same argument. It is here, therefore, taken for granted, although I know that there are some different apprehensions about the notion of Christ's suffering in our stead, and of the imputation of those sufferings unto us. But I shall here take no notice of them, seeing I press this argument no farther, but only so far forth that the obedience of Christ unto the law, and the imputation thereof unto us, are no less necessary unto our justification before God than his suffering of the penalty of the law and the imputation thereof unto us unto the same end. The nature of this imputation and what it is formally that is imputed we have considered elsewhere. That the obedience of Christ, the mediator, is thus imputed unto us shall be afterwards proved in particular by testimonies of the scripture here. I intend only the vindication of the argument as before laid down, which will take us up a little more time than ordinary. For there is nothing in the whole doctrine of justification which meets with more fierce and various opposition, but the truth is great and will prevail. The things that are usually objected and vehemently urged against the imputation of the obedience of Christ unto our justification, may be reduced unto three heads. Roman numeral number one, that it is impossible. Roman numeral number two, that it is useless. Roman numeral number three, that it is pernicious to believe in. And if the arguments used for the enforcement of these objections be as cognate as the charge itself is fierce and severe, they will unavoidably overthrow the persuasion of it, in the minds of all sober persons. But there is oftentimes a wide difference between what is said and what is proved, as will appear in the present case. Roman numeral number one. It is pleaded impossible on this single ground, namely, quote, that the obedience of Christ unto the law was due from him on his own account and performed by him for himself as a man made Under the law. End quote. Now, what was necessary unto himself, and done for himself, cannot be said to be done for us, so as to be imputed unto us. Roman numeral number two. It is pretended to be useless from hence, because all, quote, our sins of omission and commission be pardoned in our justification, on the account of the death and satisfaction of Christ, we are thereby made completely righteous. So as that, there is not the least necessity for, or use of, the imputation of the obedience of Christ unto us, End quote. Roman numeral number three. Pernicious, also they say it is, as that which takes away, quote, the necessity of our personal obedience, introducing antinomianism, libertinism, and all manner of evils. For this last part of the charge, I refer it unto its proper place. For although it be urged by some against this part of the doctrine of justification in a peculiar manner, yet is it managed by others against the whole of it. And although we should grant that the obedience of Christ unto the law is not imputed unto us unto our justification, yet shall we not be freed from disturbance by this false accusation, unless we will renounce the whole of the satisfaction and merit of Christ also and we intend not to purchase our peace with the whole world at so dear a rate wherefore I shall in its proper place give this part of the charge its due consideration as it reflects on the whole doctrine of justification and all the causes thereof which we believe and profess Roman numeral number one the first part of this charge concerning the impossibility of the imputation, of the obedience of Christ unto us, is insisted on by Socinus de Servant, part 3, cap 5. And there has been nothing since pleaded unto the same purpose but what has been derived from him, or wherein, at least, he has not prevented the inventions of other men and gone before them. And he makes this consideration the principal engine Wherewith he endeavors to overthrow the whole doctrine of the merit of Christ. For he supposes that if all he did in a way of obedience was due from himself on his own account, and was only the duty which he owed unto God for himself in his station and circumstances as a man in this world, it cannot be meritorious for us, nor any way imputed unto us. And in like manner to weaken the doctrine of his satisfaction and the imputation thereof unto us he contends that Christ offered as a priest for himself in that kind of offering which he made on the cross part 2 cap 22 and his real opinion was that whatever was of offering or sacrifice in the death of Christ it was for himself that is it was an act of obedience unto God which pleased him as the savor of a sweet-smelling sacrifice. His offering for us is only the presentation of himself in the presence of God in heaven. Now he has no more to do for himself in a way of duty. And the truth is, if the obedience of Christ had respect unto himself only, that is, if he yielded it unto God on the necessity of his condition and did not do it for us, well, I see no foundation left to assert his merit upon, no more than I do for the imputation of it unto them that believe. That which we plead is that the Lord Christ fulfilled the whole law for us. He did not only undergo the penalty of it due unto our sins, but also yielded that perfect obedience which it did require. And herein, I shall not emmix myself in the debate of the distinction between the active and the passive obedience of Christ. For he exercised the highest active obedience in his suffering when he offered himself to God through the eternal spirit. And all his obedience, considering his person, was mixed with suffering, as a part of his annexation and humiliation, whence it is said, That though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And, however, doing and suffering are in various categories of things. Yet, scripture testimonies are not to be regulated by philosophical artifices and terms. It must needs be said that the sufferings of Christ, as they were purely penal, are imperfectly called his passive righteousness. For all righteousness is either in habit or in action, whereof suffering is neither, nor is any man righteous or so esteemed from what he suffers. Neither do sufferings give satisfaction unto the command of the law, which require only obedience. And hence, it will unavoidably follow that we have need of more than the mere sufferings of Christ, whereby we may be justified before God, If so be that any righteousness be required thereunto. But the whole of what I intend is that Christ's fulfilling of the law in obedience unto its command is no less imputed unto us for our justification than his undergoing the penalty of it is. I cannot but judge. It sounds ill in the ears of all Christians. Quote, that the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator and surety under the whole of the law was for himself only, and that not for us, end quote. Or that what he did therein was not that he might be the end of the law for righteousness unto them that do believe, nor a means of the fulfilling of the righteousness of the law in us, especially considering that the faith of the church is that he was given to us, born to us, that for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and did and suffered what was required of him. But whereas some who deny the imputation of the obedience of Christ unto us for our justification do insist principally on the second thing mentioned, namely, the unusefulness of it. I shall under this part of the charge consider only the arguing of Socinius, which is the whole of what some at present do endeavor to perplex the truth withal. To this purpose is his discourse, part three, cap five, de servante, non-English words. I have transcribed his words, that it may appear, with whose weapons some young disputers among ourselves do contend against the truth. The substance of his plea is that our Lord Jesus Christ was for himself or on his own account obliged unto all that obedience which he performed. And this he endeavors to prove with this reason, quote, because if it were otherwise, then he might, if he would, have neglected the whole law of God and have broken it at his pleasure. For if he forgot to consider that if he were not obliged unto it, upon his own account, but was so on ours, whose cause he had undertaken, the obligation on him unto most perfect obedience was equal to what it would have been had he been originally obliged on his own account. However, hence he infers, quote, that what he did... Could not be for us, because it was so for himself, no more than what any other man is bound to do in a way of duty for himself can be esteemed to have been done also for another, End quote. for he will allow of none of those considerations of the person of Christ which make what he did and suffered of another nature and efficacy. Then what can be done or suffered by any other man. All that he adds in the process of his discourse is, quote, that whatever Christ did, that was not required by the law in general, was upon the especial command of God, and so done for himself, whence it cannot be imputed unto us, end quote. And hereby, he excludes the church from any benefit, by the mediation of Christ, but only what consists in his doctrine, example, and the exercise of his power in heaven for our good, which was the thing that he aimed at. But we shall consider those also which make use of his arguments, though not as yet openly unto all his ends. To clear the truth herein, the things ensuing must be observed. Number one, The obedience we treat of was the obedience of Christ the mediator. But the obedience of Christ as the mediator of the covenant was the obedience of His person. For God redeemed His church with His own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. It was performed in the human nature, but the person of Christ was He that performed it. As in the person of a man, some of his acts As to the immediate principle of operation are acts of the body, and some are so of the soul. Yet in their performance and accomplishment are they the acts of the person. So the acts of Christ in his mediation, as unto their er energemata, or immediate operation, were the acting of his distinct natures. Some of the divine and some of the human immediately but as unto their apatelesmata and the perfecting efficacy of them they were the acts of his whole person his acts who was that person and whose power of operation was a property of his person wherefore the obedience of christ which we plead to have been for us was the obedience of the Son of God. But the Son of God was never absolutely made naman under the law, nor could be formally obliged thereby. He was indeed, as the Apostle witnesses, made so in his human nature, wherein he performed this obedience, made of a woman, Made under the law. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. He was so far forth made under the law. As he was made of a woman. For in his person he abode. Lord of the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2 verse 28. And therefore of the whole law. But the obedience itself. Was the obedience of that person. Who never was. Nor ever could absolutely be made under the law in his whole person. For the divine nature cannot be subjected unto an outward work of its own, such as the law is, nor can it have an authoritative commanding power over it, as it must have if it were made naman, under the law. Thus, the apostle argues that quote, Levi paid tithes in Abraham, end quote, because he was Then, in his loins, when Abraham himself paid tithes unto Melchizedek, Hebrews chapter 7, and then he proves that he was inferior unto the Lord Christ, of whom Melchizedek was a type. But, may it not thereon be replied, that then no less the Lord Christ was in the loins of Abraham, than Levi? For verily... As the same Apostle speaks, quote, He took on him the seed of Abraham. End quote. It is true, therefore, that he was so in respect of his human nature, but as he was typed and represented by Melchizedek in his whole person, quote, without father, without mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. End quote. So, he was not absolutely in Abraham's loins and was exempted from being Tithes in him wherefore, the obedience whereof we treat being not the obedience of the human nature abstractedly, however performed in and by the human nature, but the obedience of the person of the Son of God, however the human nature was subject to the law, in what sense and unto what end shall be declared afterwards? it was not for himself, nor could be for himself, because his whole person was not obliged thereunto. It is therefore a fond thing to compare the obedience of Christ with that of any other man, whose whole person is under the law. For although that may not be for himself and others, which yet we shall show, in some cases it may, yet this may, yea, must, be for others, and not for himself. This then, we must strictly hold unto. The obedience that Christ yielded unto the law were for himself, whereas it was the act of his person, his whole person, and the divine nature therein were made under the law, which cannot be. For although it is acknowledged that, in the ordination of God, his Ex was to precede his glorious majestical exaltation as the scripture witness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Luke chapter 24, verse 26. Romans chapter 14, verse 9. Yet absolutely his glory was an immediate consequence of the hypostatical union. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. So Sinus, I confess, evades the force of this argument by denying the divine person of Christ. But, in this disputation, I take that for granted, as having proved it elsewhere beyond what any of his followers were able to contradict. And if we may not build on truths by him denied, we shall scarce have any one principle of evangelical truth left us to prove anything from. However, I intend them only at present who concur with him in the matter under debate, but renounce his opinion concerning the person of Christ. Number two. As our Lord Jesus Christ owed not in his own person disobedience for himself, by virtue of any authority or power that the law had over him, so he designed and intended it not for himself, but for us. This added unto the former consideration, gives full evidence unto the truth pleaded for. For if he was not obliged unto it for himself, his person that yielded it not being under the law, and if he intended it not for himself, then it must be for us, or be useless. It was in our human nature that he performed all obedience. Now, the subception of our nature was a voluntary act of his own, with reference unto some end and purpose. And that which was the end of the assumption of our nature was, in like manner, the end of all that he did therein. Now it was for us, and not for himself, that he assumed our nature, nor was anything added unto him thereby. Wherefore, in the issue of his work, he purposes this only unto himself, that he may be glorified with that glory which he had with the Father before the world was by the removal of that veil which was put upon it in his explanation but that it was for us that he assumed our nature is the foundation of the Christian religion as it is asserted by the Apostle Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8 Some of the ancient schoolmen disputed that the Son of God should have been incarnate although man had not sinned and fallen. The same opinion was fiercely pursued by Alciander, as I have elsewhere declared. But none of them once imagined that he should have been so made man as to be made under the law and be obliged thereby unto that obedience which now he has performed. But they judged that immediately he was to have been a glorious head unto the whole creation." For it is a common notion and presumption of all Christians not only such as will sacrifice such notions unto their own private conceptions that the obedience which Christ yielded unto the law on the earth and the state and condition wherein he yielded it was not for himself but for the church which was obliged unto perfect obedience but was not able to accomplish it that this was his sole end and design, it is a fundamental article, if I mistake not, of the creed of most Christians in the world, and to deny it does consequently overthrow all the grace and love both of the Father and of the Son in His mediation. It is said that, quote, This obedience was necessary as a qualification of His person, that He might be meet to be a mediator for us, and therefore was for Himself, end quote. It belongs unto the necessary constitution of his person with respect unto his mediatory work. But this I positively deny. The Lord Christ was everywhere meet for the whole work of mediation by the ineffable union of the human nature with the divine, which exalted it in dignity, honor, and worth above anything or all things that ensue thereon. For hereby he became in his whole person the object of all divine worship and honor. For, quote, When he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. End quote. Again, That which is an effect of the person of the mediator, as constituted such, is not a qualification necessary unto its constitution. That is, what he did as mediator did not concur to the making of him meet so to be. But of his nature was all the obedience which was yielded unto the law. For as such, quote, it became him to fulfill all righteousness, End quote. Whereas, therefore, he was neither made man nor of the posterity of Abraham for himself, but for the church. Namely, to become thereby the surety of the covenant and representative of the whole his obedience as a man unto the law in general and as a son of Abraham unto the law of Moses was for us and not for himself so designed, so performed and without a respect unto the church was of no use unto himself he was born to us and given to us lived for us and died for us obeyed for us and suffered for us that, quote, by the obedience of one, many might be made righteous, end quote. This was the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. and This is the faith of the Catholic Church. And what he did for us is imputed unto us. This is included in the very notion of his doing it for us, which cannot be spoken in any sense unless that which he so did he imputed unto us. And I think men ought to be wary that they do not, by distinctions and steady evasions, for the defense of their own private opinions, shake the foundations of Christian religion. And I am sure it will be easier for them, as it is in the proverb, to wrest the club out of the hand of Hercules than to dispossess the minds of true believers of this persuasion. Quote, that what the Lord Christ did in obedience unto God, according unto the law, he designed in his love and grace to do it for them. He needed no obedience for himself. He came not into the capacity of yielding obedience for himself, but for us. And therefore, for us, it was that he fulfilled the law in obedience unto God, according unto the terms of it. The obligation that was on him unto obedience was originally no less for us, no less needful unto us, no more for himself, no more necessary unto him. Then the obligation was on him as the surety of the covenant to suffer the penalty of the law was either the one or the other. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero three seven three zero by fax at seven eight zero four six eight one zero nine six or by mail at four seven one zero dash three seven A Avenue Edmonton, AB, Canada T six L three T five. If you do not have a web connection please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked, by email, to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at With the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc. that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer is not altered in any way and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading and remember that Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 states thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee and second corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 concludes Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.